What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. What's going on? It's Johnny King, and I'm here with my good friend, Tom Ortoff. We're in his very cool office in his home in Colorado, Denver, Colorado, which is where we both live. Yeah. And uh, I've known Tom for the last year, and just get to know his story. Pretty, pretty awesome. He's the former president and CEO of Echosphere, mm-hmm. which is the, what would you say, the forerunner, forerunner of Dish Network, right? right? Mm-hmm. And now you're on the board, you're a member of the board of Dish Network. Yes. And yes, chairman of the audit committee. Chair of the audit committee, which is what exactly? What does that mean? Uh, well, the audit committee is uh, the committee that's responsible for presentation of the financials to the public okay and uh and this could be involved in you know some uh, any potential wrongdoings that the company might be accused of or whatever so investigating those kinds of issues gotcha gotcha so he's had he's had such an amazing career up to this point and so many different things that i feel like we as men can glean from uh and so i just figured we'd jump into your story but then also talk about uh the risks you've taken the uh, the accomplishments, all the things that have created the man that you are today, oh, wow. um, <laughs> all of it. Okay. Talk about all of it, yeah, um, and and kind of start from there. But why don't we start from the as much of the beginning as you want? Because um, he spoke just the other night at my men's meeting here in Denver, very similar to this. We're just going to go a little bit more in depth. So you were born where? Uh, I was born in Toppenish, Washington. Yeah. It's up in the state of Washington, of course, and uh, in the Yakima Valley. Uh, the town is a town of about 5,000 people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually uh, surrounded by the Yakima Indian Reservation. So, um, and it's primarily an agricultural environment and community. Um, back in those days, I was born I was born in 1950. Do you have any Native American in you? No, okay. I don't. I, yeah. I don't. But, I mean, I obviously went to school with a, a number of uh, Native American uh, Yakima Indian kids. Yeah. Um, but uh, my, my town, the town itself was, uh, demographically, was uh, probably 40 or 45 percent Hispanic mm-hmm. uh, due to the migrant farm worker uh, kind of population, immigrant farm worker population. Um, and that was, uh, you know, back, basically I grew up in the 50s, right? Yeah. So... It was kind of the era of good feeling, if you will. It was, uh, you know, right after World War II and things were, you know, from a financial economic standpoint, the United States was, uh, you know, in the dominant position, kind of rebuilding in Europe mm-hmm. uh, and rebuilding in, uh, in Japan and the East. And uh, so, and my parents were coming, just coming off the, of the Great Depression. The country was just coming off the Great Depression out of World War II, as I said. Mm-hmm. And so times were, you know, Positive. It was really a positive kind of environment. Uh, for example, uh, let me ask you. Sorry to interrupt, but before I even lose that thought, 
how were your parents affected by the Great Depression? Because that, that just fascinates me in general. But like, what did you hear about the Great Depression? And how well, that... my my mother said it was it was the most awful time ever. Yeah. I mean, they had they had nothing and had no prospects of. It, it was just a just time of despair. Yeah, and the, she was a child during the Great Depression. Her parents actually are the ones who were in the midst of it. Okay. Um, she she comes from a family of twelve children. She's the eleventh of twelve. Jeez. Her dad wow. and her her family was a, a, her dad was a farmer, of course, as many of the, of the Americans were back in that time. But uh, he had all the kids because that was cheap labor, right? Mm -hmm. You you worked the farm, right, mm -hmm. with the, with kids. So yeah. anyway, uh, uh, yeah, and so that that's a lot of what what. Uh, uh, Developed how my parents developed what made them who they are. Yeah. Um, my dad was just uh, you know, I, I don't say I wouldn't say he was cheap, but he was very frugal. Yeah. And uh, you know, counted every penny, and and uh, that was my mom as well. Yeah. Um, and she tells stories of she, that she had two dresses as a child. I mean, she had a good dress <laughs> that she wore to school and a work dress that she wore when she was mm -hmm. home. Anyway, so that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. But we, back in those days, I mean, like I said, it was the era of good feeling. Hell, we'd go out of town on vacation when I was probably eight or nine years old for two weeks and not, not even lock our house. Yeah. Um, you know, and the neighbor kid came over and took care of our dog. And, you know, I mean, it was just one of those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, cool. was, we walked from across town, you know, probably a mile and a half or two miles to the swimming pool during the summer where I swam on my sisters. I'm the one of four. I have three sisters, one older, two younger. Um, every day uh, when I was, you know, until I started working, uh, we, we swam on the swim team. We went to the pool. That's how our, we occupied our day. It was yeah. a public pool. Yeah. And it was just on the other side of the, of the railroad tracks from my house. So, mm. um, so that was kind of kind of the environment that I grew up in, and we we had a parking strip. I mean, we probably grew up in a house that was there were four of us, four kids, mm -hmm. six of us total, probably under a thousand square feet, yeah. um, and that's after we remodeled yeah. and added on. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah. so, anyways, but uh, and my dad was a plumber, my mom was a homemaker, uh -huh. um, but I didn't know for want, I didn't want for anything. Uh, you know, we pl always had plenty of food on the table and um you know just it was just a real wholesome healthy environment place to grow up in. what was your relationship with your mom and your relationship with, the, with your dad uh, my, well my dad was a man a man of very few words right his father was killed when he was six years old so he uh he grew up with a stepdad mm -hmm. and didn't have a particularly good relationship with him mm -hmm. though his stepdad is the individual that he worked for when he became got up to be of working age um, um, but, uh, you know, my relationship with my mother was just, I mean, she's a saint. Okay. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember in high school, I'd come home after a football game or a basketball game and, uh, that we had on a Friday night or a Saturday night and uh, sit up for hours and talk to her and into the wee hours of the morning. So mm. just talk about everything under the sun. Mm. My dad was a man of very, a man of very few words. He was the disciplinarian of the family. Um, he always used to, he, he said to me when, when I got older, he said to me, well, you know, I, I, I had my head down and I was working, I was working and I'd come home and your mom would say, go beat those kids. <laughs> and 
I said, hey, why? Why? Why do I need to beat them? Yeah. You know? She said, oh, they were awful today. And, you know, he'd line us up and give us a spanking, you know. That's back in the day when they believed in corporal punishment. Right, but right. Anyways, you'd probably get uh, turned over to social services today. Right, but. right. Anyways, uh, uh, my relationship with my father, I mean, he was, uh, he, he was a nice man. Uh you know, he was a quick wit. I mean, he he was the king of the one-liners, man. You know, I just uh, I don't know if you would if I can use him in, in this, but uh, you can use him. he uh, yeah he he used to say it may not be big around, but it's short. You know, it's those kind of yeah. lines, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, point it straight at her son. That way, she'll never know how big it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> that was the advice he gave me on yeah. my wedding night. Oh. Sweet. <laughs> you know, so so he was a character, right? He was just a character. He, you know, he. He, awesome. he, he, in addition to him being a plumber, he uh, got into the, with his uh, stepdad, got into the retail business and owned a hardware store. So it was city hardware and plumbing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, so he was, you know, he would deal with the public and, you know, he, he didn't remember a lot of people's names, but he'd go, hey, you old SOB, you know, old so-and-so, yeah. good to see you, you know, easy money. He calls people easy, easy money, money. And, you know, stuff like that. So he was just, he was really a character, and he was just a really, really nice man. And, yeah. uh, he passed away nine years ago, um, uh, last month. Yeah. And I, I, I miss him every day. Yeah, I'm sure. My mom's still living. She's 92. Yeah. Uh, turned 92 uh, on June the 7th, and uh, she's not in the best of health, but she's in good health for her age, yeah. I guess. And. Yeah. She's alive, <laughs> so yeah. uh, anyway. Uh, but I had we just I had a wonderful relationship with my parents. I think um, you know when I went away to college, I got a little bit rebellious and pushed back with my father somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, he put me in my place pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I learned uh, basic you know values of good and bad and right and wrong. You know, I, my dad uh, just hated. Uh, person that was a liar or a thief uh, or a cheat mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I learned from him at a young age to never raise my hand against a, a female mm -hmm. so um, I would uh, I remember one time when I we were playing cards when I was probably 12 or 13 years old and my sister was cheating right and and you know I called her on it and she said oh, I wasn't cheating and I backhanded her Across the head, you know, just slapped her across like that. Right when my dad walked in the room, and, oh, no. oh I, that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> yeah, you learned so, that lesson. I learned a lesson. Yeah, yeah I learned yeah. a lesson really yeah. quickly. So yeah. you don't ever lay your hands on your sister or any other woman. So. Yeah, yeah. Were you raised a lot then by uh, just because your dad was working by your mom, by your sisters of sorts or do you have other male role models besides your dad i know you did later in your career but you know when you were younger was it yeah was your dad a, a lot no i i i had i i guess i would consider some of the coaches that i had as at a young age role models and yeah. teachers yeah. uh mr bator john bator uh who was my fifth grade teacher yeah. uh was a guy that i would say was mentored me you know, and he actually followed our class, the class of 1969, graduated from Hopkins High School in 1969. Yeah. He followed them from the fifth grade to junior high school to the high school. So he moved with the class. Oh, yeah. And yeah, intentionally, because he wanted to be around that group 
the group of boys. Special group. Uh, yeah, a special, a special group. Of, there were like five or six or seven of us that were very competitive uh, athletically and academically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he, he wanted to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So, cool. And he, got, he got, uh, became an assistant coach on the football team and stuff like that. Cool. Then uh, the first uh, man that I recall uh, thinking that he was my, would be a mentor to me was my high school football coach mm. named Bob Winters. Mm. And uh, he took me under his wing and taught me. He was, he was a professional in the Canadian pro- uh, Football League, professional football yeah. uh, quarterback. Uh-huh. And so he taught me a lot about being a football player and being a quarterback and stuff like that. So. Cool, cool. So you were excelling in sports and I excelled in sports. I was, I earned uh, uh, nine or eight letters, eight varsity letters. Yeah. Though I would have earned nine because there was there's you could only participate in nine sports. Yeah. You know, it's three uh, per, per year. There were three seasons: yeah. football, basketball, and baseball. But I one year I took off and played golf, and golf was not an accredited sport at our high school, so I didn't earn a letter that year. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I I guess I earned uh, eight varsity letters. Sure. Um, and uh, was uh, I guess I think I was named quarterback or athlete of the decade or something like that yeah. from the sixties and yeah. um, that yeah. kind of thing. I was I graduated fifth in my class. Yeah. I I was I thought I was. Tough, tough shit. Yeah. I was really hot shit, and uh, <laughs> though I came to find out real quickly <laughs> that everybody was uh, athletic in their high school, and there were a lot of guys that went to a lot bigger high schools than me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so I was pretty much average, just average, or maybe a slightly above average, but yeah, uh, just average athletically, and uh, yeah. So, what were some of the things that Bob Winters? taught you if you say he's you know a role model in what way did he shape your life if any well he taught well first off he taught me a lot of the basics you know so when I was when I quarterback uh, I was a sophomore and I took the I took a snap from the center and I backpedaled you know yeah and he's and he came to me he said you got to get back there that's a seven set drop you need to run back there and yeah. get set up and blah 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 and I yeah. think well that's yeah. yeah, but uh, but he taught he taught me you know just uh, the, uh, the rules of, of life about being a good person about uh, um, you know one time in the huddle he was standing outside of the huddle and I was uh, I chastised uh, one of my teammates and uh, he stepped in and said don't ever use that tone he pulled me aside and said don't ever use that tone of voice I mean that's that's not cool yeah. uh, with with your fellow teammates yeah. you know yeah. and I I said well. Yeah, he's and he taught me the value of hard work and and uh, you know having a winning attitude. Yeah. You know, uh, just not just not ever being in a position where you regretted something because you didn't give it your best. Right. So making sure you left everything on the field mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and and play by the rules. Right. I mean, there were there were rules in football and basketball and baseball, and you we had to play by them. You know. So yeah. Anyways, he just taught, he taught me that, and he lived, uh, he taught me by example, by living uh, a good life, so. Well, it sounds like, too, that was the beginning of you starting your journey of leadership and learning how to manage people, even at a young age. Yes. And how to use your, you know, Yeah, you know, it's, and... it's interesting because I, you know, my mom held me back, so I was one of the older kids in my class, yeah. and I, I just remember uh, 
the Texas Rangers was a t TV show. And uh, I organized all the guys on the, in the second grade. And I divided them up into two teams. And I got, I was the leader of one of the teams, right? Or we were the Texas Rangers and those guys were the bad guys, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I did that. You know, I, I, I had a leadership role even then. I, yeah. Kids uh, just naturally followed my ability. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's back in the second grade. And then when I got to high school, you know, interestingly, there, there was a, a, a significant event that occurred when I was in the seventh grade. And, um, it, you know, I ran for this, for the student body, body vice president. So it was when I was going to be in the eighth grade, the student body vice president. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then from there, you would become the student body president as a ninth grader. Well, mm -hmm. not automatically, you had to go through it, but, but you had to, as vice president, you had a head start, right? Yeah. And this group of upperclassmen formed a coalition to uh, go against me. Hmm. And uh, I, I lost the election. Hmm. And it was the most devastating thing that ever, had ever happened to me. Because I, I mean, by the way, it right-sized me. Don't get me wrong, it was a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Because it right-sized me because I was so cocky and... You know, I, uh, you know, that's more or less why they did it, just to kind of put you in your place. Exactly. Otherwise, that's exactly. what would be their motivation? Yeah, exactly. No, that's what they, how they did it. Cause I was pretty cocky and, yeah. you know, I had this reputation of, you know, being, you know, an, you know a winner and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I just think they were kind of, they were trying to put me in my place and, and, uh, the results came in for the election and I, I lost and uh, I was devastated. Yeah. And that, that really had an effect on me. As a matter of fact, it affected me. It's been a, a major lesson for me in my, in my uh, journey. And uh, I learned a lot from that lesson. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think you look at the, the studies and things like that and you see that, you know, you've probably heard it too, 85% of who we are as men is created by stories that we create between the ages of like six and 10, you know, but even just within our early teenager years, yeah. like just the quote unquote trauma or the events that happen, like, man, they stay with us yeah. all our lives. That's, that's that. I just remember that was so devastating. I was so devastated by yeah. it. And these, these friends of mine that had supported me were devastated as well. I mean, they, you know, and, and those are the guys, by the way, that, I've been friends with my entire life, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, good friends with good buddies. With a, a couple of them passed away, but one one passed away from cancer, pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. So, How did it affect you? You said that you kind of thought about it the rest of your career, but in a positive way? Were you able to spin it in a positive way, or is it just like... Well, actually, it probably had an effect of, you know, I, I never put myself out there again in terms of... Uh, public office okay I never ran again mm. um, I got I was forced into those kind of some leadership positions just by virtue of the fact that some my class voted me I guess you know for some some accolade right and uh, I didn't have a say in that but I probably would have not taken that not taken that if I would have if I would have had the choice yeah. but um, so I, I I never I never put myself out there uh, again, and uh, and that that carried over. That pretty much carried over, you know, 
and and actually, it it probably made me a humble, it made me a much more humble person. Mm. Be you know, I I garnered a lot of humility from that one experience, and mm. um, though, um, plus I I learned just how how petty people can be, you know. So yeah. You know, but uh, I think in, all in all, it was a it was a very positive experience. You know that uh, that defeat. But I got sticks with me though, man. Yeah, I gotta imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, again, when your father wasn't in the home because he was working, you're the man of the house. You've got four other women in there. Mm. Your three sisters, even though you're younger than your older sister, but your mom. It's like you just you naturally kind of took on that leadership role, and had people looking up to you. And then here's your first instance where you were stepping into something and you had this group of people organized to shut you down. I can see how. Yeah, you know, and actually, as a matter of fact, that class, the class that actually uh, uh, determined who the, you know, the class that was ahead of me, the class of 68, they elected uh, this the most ugly girl as cheerleader just as a joke. I mean, it was the same time, right? I mean, that's that's who they were. They, they were like this class that, you know... That was just totally rebels, right? It was it was like in the sixties, man. It was like you know back back. Well, in that time, it was probably in the early sixties. But that I think I was is like sixty three or sixty four, something yeah. like that. But uh, you know when we when we got to, when we got to high school, it was the same. Yeah. But I you know I I, I assumed leadership roles when I was in high school, and you know I, be, I mean obviously I was the quarterback. Yeah. Um, they put me. They they had this Monday morning quarterback meeting of all the parents of all the actually the fathers yeah. and they would meet at this cafe in my little hometown. It was called the Hubba Hubba. <laughs> uh, who knows why they named it that? Yeah, yeah. But uh, and they'd have breakfast there, and I had uh, I had uh, I was a punter on the varsity team, and I played on the JV uh, when I was in uh, tenth grade, and. Uh, I, they, they had, I'd gotten into a football game. Uh, I think it was like the fifth game of the season or whatever. Mm. And at, right in the fourth quarter, because we were losing it by so much. And I went in and boom, I threw, I, I passed for, you know, I think four or five completions and I made a touchdown. Mm. And uh, the, the scuttlebutt around town, the, the uh, gossip was that, you know, gosh, I mean, I should start at quarterback. And so they, they called my father into this meeting because he hadn't gone prior to this thing and asked him if uh, he thought it was would be smart for them to put me on the varsity or as a starting quarterback. And later I learned that he said, no, I don't think it would be a good decision. Mm -hmm. And But they did anyway. <laughs> so actually, after the first series of downs, I think, or whatever, I got in and became the quarterback. And and the following game, the the powerhouse in our league uh, that year was this team called from Sunnyside, and they were undefeated. Mm. And it was for our homecoming, mm. and I started, and we beat them. Oh, awesome! And uh, it was because I threw five touchdown passes. It was because it was practice. It was practically from a practical standpoint. It was because they we ran the football, yeah. right? And when I was in. We passed. Yeah. We became a passing team. So they only prepared for the. They run only game. prepared for the run, <laughs> and uh, so we, we just we just smoked, smoked them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So smoked them. Yeah. So, anyways, that was, and they were devastated. I mean, they had, that was their only that's defeat awesome. for the season, and awesome. so on. So, but anyways, that that's kind of what that game actually kind of set uh, me up for my 
football career yeah. for the next two years. Yeah. And as my uh, my junior year, I became all conference, and then I got beat out for first team all conference uh, my senior year by this uh, really talented quarterback from another school. Mm. But uh, mm. uh, and that was you know that was just a, a pick a luck of the draw, I guess. And yeah. It was it was. Uh, I think it was based on statistics and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that did not, by the way, didn't nearly have nearly as devastating effect on me as when I lost the uh, the vice president of the yeah. student body. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I never ran for student body office again. So. Yeah, it's kind of like the first cut of the deepest. Then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. The first big, you know, defeat, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so so from there, uh, you know, so I, you know, I had a great. High school career, it was just terrific growing up in that small town. Yeah. Um, like I said, we didn't have to lock our doors. And I was on the swim team and all this kind of stuff. I played grid kid football when I was uh, 12 or 13 years old. And then I went into high school sports and junior high school and high school. And um, uh, then I went to, when I went to college, um, I followed my sister. And because I went over to visit her and uh, had just a great time uh, with her, uh, with her boyfriend and his buddy, and they took me out and showed me a great time and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And so that was the only college I even considered. Yeah. Um, though I had actually applied for Dartmouth. Dartmouth had recruited me for football, and um, if I had if I'd gotten accepted to Dartmouth. Uh, I would be, I've been part of the football team. And yeah, so, yeah. uh, but, uh, I didn't get accepted mm-hmm. and I had, though I had the academics to, and I, I mean, I think I was, I was one of several people that were looking at to be quarterback, mm-hmm. but I was recruited, uh, to be a quarterback at, you know, a number of small colleges, uh, throughout the state of Washington. And, uh, I visited them, but I had no desire to play athletics, uh, you know, other than intramurals after high school. Why do you think? Um, I just knew it wasn't going to, wasn't going to get me anywhere. You know, I, I, you know, I was more interested really in, in, uh, in competing at not such a competitive level because, you know, in college, if you're on a scholarship, it's a job, it becomes a job. And I, I just was, I didn't have an interest in, in, uh, in that. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I was, you know, I was just kind of burned out on, uh, uh, competitive athletics, you know, so, um, but I had, I enjoyed it a lot. We had, we, we played a high level of intramurals because I played intramural basketball, uh, uh, football, you know, we played flag football and yeah, basketball, right. stuff like that right. at Washington State University. Of course, Washington State University at that time was in the pack eight. Yeah. I mean, I mean, give me a break. I mean, the, the guy who started quarterback for Washington State was six four, you know, two thirty five. I mean, yeah. I was five nine, yeah. one hundred sixty five. Yeah. I mean, yeah. give me a break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that would have been mincemeat. But there's always a big difference between you know high school and college, okay. especially if you go though. And then big difference between D three and D one. Exactly. Just like the exactly. species. Of exactly. But it, but anyways, I yeah you, know, you know I had a great I had a fun college career. Um, I excelled. I uh, got elected to Phi Beta Kappa, as you can see. Yeah. Phi Beta Kappa. Yeah. Uh, uh, I had. Uh, I was going to be an, a lawyer, um, though I got burned out on college. 
And uh, because you know, I just got burned out generally on education, uh, you know, go, going to being part of the education. I wanted to get out and start my life, you yeah. know. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I took all these extra credits, classes and stuff like that. So I graduated in actually three and a half years. Yeah. And so I had to go back uh, to, to uh, walk with my class during the, gradu the graduation ceremony. Um, but, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't planned, I mean, for my, for the rest of my life, I hadn't planned, you know, I went, Whoa, here I am. I'm done with college. Now what? Yeah. I had never really thought about it's that. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of a crazy realization that everything's school that you all, that's all you know of and you know, it's coming, but it's like, it's there. And it's, it's all of a sudden there and you go, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Right. So anyways, uh, so I hadn't prepared. <laughs> I hadn't done inter any interviewing, so um, I got a job uh, at a college in a meatpacking plant, and I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do with right. the rest of my life. Right. So I, t I got the college placement manual, and I started at A, and I got hired at E, and because uh, I wrote to everybody that hired a liberal arts undergraduate, mm -hmm. and uh, I got hired at E, which was EDS. Mm -hmm. Electronic Data Systems. That was Ross Perot's company. Mm. And they flew me to San Francisco to interview. I had this gang interview uh, with 10 guys or whatever, and they kept me in there for four hours or whatever. Wow. I think it was their time to away from work. I mean, it, <laughs> so they, they, they strung it out, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, so I got, I got a job offer, and it was uh, in Dallas, Texas, and they got me so much to move. They gave me a moving allowance. It was way not enough. It was, and they, and I got $675 a month. Oh. And at that time I was planning on getting married. So I met this girl that, uh, that, uh, I'd fallen in love with and had asked to marry me and she'd said yes, blah, blah, blah. And she was from this, uh, you know, family that was, the father was very successful. Um, his name is R.F. Johnson, Raymond Johnson, Ray Johnson. And he was the, the uh, he was with the company called Caltex Petroleum, and uh, he be, he quickly became my mentor, mm. and uh, or mentored me I mm. should say, mm. and uh, that uh, you know so a lot of the aphorisms that I have today, uh, you know, if, if you don't know where you're going, any road will lead you there, are things that I learned from him. Look yeah. down, not up, or you'll stumble. Yeah. those kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and. Uh, so he came to visit, he and his wife, my mother-in-law, came to visit my wife and I in Dallas. And when he was there, um, I took him to, to EDS and uh, took him around the place. And he, uh, he took, <laughs> when we went out to dinner that night, he says, you know, it's, it's criminal what uh, that guy Ross Perot has done to young people. Mm. You know, getting to, to travel all this way and not pay them mm -hmm. what they're worth, all this kind of stuff. He says, you need to go back and get uh, an MBA. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm planning on doing that. I'm, I'm applying at uh, Texas colleges, uh, graduate mm -hmm. schools. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, why don't you go to Harvard? Mm -hmm. And I said, I looked at him, I said, I never thought of that. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I can't afford it. And, and he said, I'll pay for it. Oh. He said, I'll pay for your graduate school. He said, plus, if you want to get an inter involved in international business, because I was, I'd expressed an interest because he was involved in international business. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he was the president of Caltex Petroleum Philippines. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, had a relationship with Ferdinand Marcos, who was the president of the Philippines. And then he got promoted to uh, uh, Australia, became head of uh, chairman of Caltech Petroleum Australia. Um, and from there, I mean, that's, that's where he was when uh, he, the, uh, his daughter and I got divorced. But uh, in terms of me following his career, he, he became the president of Caltech Petroleum and then he became chairman of the board of yeah. Caltex Petroleum. Yeah. And then he became chairman emeritus of uh, Caltex Petroleum. Mm -hmm. And he was on Bush's uh, advisory council yeah. and yeah. and uh, for energy and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So he was just a highly, highly successful guy. And he'd gone to Washington State University and, and take it, graduated with a marketing degree. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so uh, long story short, um, I raised my sights. Uh, and I applied to all the top business schools. I pretty much got into all of them, except I didn't get into Harvard or Stanford, I should add. But I got into Dartmouth and Chicago and blah, blah, blah. And Dartmouth was uh, in the top five in the world at that mm. time mm. Ra in ratings. And uh, I, uh, I called him up. I called Ray up and I said, well, I got accepted to Dartmouth. It's called the, Tuck, the Amos Tuck School of Business Administration at Dartmouth College. Yeah. And he goes, well, why don't you go there? I said, okay, I'm going to accept. So I spent the next two years at, uh, at Tuck, at, uh, and it, it was a real cultural change, of course. I'm sure. Uh, going, to, going to New England, going to an Ivy League school, and all that kind of stuff. And your wife in time just followed you? Just followed me, yeah. yeah. She, and she, yeah, she worked the entire time. She, she went to a secretarial college, or secretarial school, uh, uh, called uh, Dallas executive secretarial yeah. school yeah. in uh which had a great reputation so she she could she typed all my papers she could type like a hundred plus words a minute wow. no mistakes yeah, and all yeah. this kind of stuff yeah. so she became administrative assistant in, for the uh at the uh, uh norris cotton cancer center mm -hmm. which was a a part a part of the mary hodgkins hospital mary hodgkins mm -hmm. hospital in, mm -hmm. in uh, at dartmouth college and um so she basically worked while I went to school. I went to school full time. Uh, got a job in the summer in the summer in Chicago for the a summer internship that was paid. Um, and she stayed in uh, in New Hampshire, which is where Dartmouth was in Hanover, New Hampshire. Mm. And uh, came out to visit me once during the summer. And uh, uh, and then we went back to Texas and and uh, where I had where. I had worked for Ross Perot, mm -hmm. um, and and actually went into the the same business park that I had worked at EDS in, right. and uh, the, the that was the business park that housed the Frito Lay headquarters, mm -hmm. and I got a job with Frito Lay. Mm -hmm. So before you jump into that uh, part of your life, let me ask you because I I resonate because I was married previously, mm -hmm. and and both my ex in laws. Uh, were really influential. They probably don't even know how influential they were to me and still are to so many things that they told me over a short amount of time while I was married and yeah. dating their daughter and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, he changed my life. Yeah, which is pretty special to have that you oh. know, coming out of your life. Yeah. Um, but looking at your, your first marriage, uh, why, do you, why do you think you got married to her? Why do you think it didn't work out? Any big lessons there in terms of relationships that would help you with your... Well, I mean, we were, we were both young. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was married. I got married when I was twenty-one. Yeah. Right. I mean, gosh, I mean, 
that's to it well the, the, I don't think we were too young I was just too immature yeah. as a person yeah and uh, you know I I blame it on her I mean she's the one who initiated I, I probably would still be married to her today mm -hmm. if she would have not divorced me mm -hmm. but um, she said that uh, you know she was tired because she had grown up in a privileged environment mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and when her parents came to visit us they would buy her all kinds of stuff clothes and you know this kind of stuff and yeah, yeah. and I just said look you need to wait I mean you've got to be patient and she just didn't have any patience mm -hmm. so she divorced me mm -hmm. and married uh, got married you know like 10 months later to this guy and who was uh, you know much more successful than I was at the time um, so uh, you know that's that. So, yeah. and I never had any further contact with her family. Mm. They just cut me off completely. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I though I tried to get in touch with uh, Ray and uh, you know thank him, um, I was unable to. So he, you know, I think he had just kind of said, "Look, this is the part of our life that you know you're not part of it." And yeah. you know. Willing to be loyal to their daughter. I mean, I guess of course, that's the of course, yes, of course. Know, and her new husband, and yeah. yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hold a, get, a grudge against him yeah. for same. not doing that. So. Same, same, yep. But he, he definitely changed my life forever for that's the better. Cool. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Kind of goes to show that some people come into your lives for a moment, uh, for a season, sometimes for a he, lifetime. And he was for a season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was for a season, and. Uh, and so was so was my wife Marilyn. Yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't have any children, so uh, and we weren't we were just on the edge of you know going for trying to have some mm -hmm. attempting or talking about mm -hmm. that, and uh, and then she just you know got this kind of oh probably all for the better. She got yeah she went she went on a negative yeah it's definitely for the better. Yeah, I just remember her wife, her mom, my mother in law, who I didn't have the best relationship with. So yeah. Really she took me out to lunch. She said, well, you know, Marilyn's going to divorce you. I said, well, that's of her, isn't it? She goes, yes, of course it is. But believe me, she's going to divorce you. Oh, and Thanks she, for she, wanted, she, just, she just wanted to put it in my face because she did, didn't like me. So, yeah. at, at any rate, and, you know, because, I mean, there's a lot of things about that. But sure. yeah, I, I don't have any grudges. Sure. But she, both she and Ray are, are, have since passed away. And uh, so is Marilyn, my ex-wife. She's mm -hmm. dead. So, um, Lori uh, showed me a, an obituary last year of uh, of her mm -hmm. of, uh, of her death. So, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't realize how I'd be affected by it. But man, yeah. it, it it broke my heart to yeah. think that she passed. Yeah, so. I think it's one of those things too, where it's you know, it's it's, it's just interesting to to fall in love, to get married, to to have visions of grandeur with someone right yeah. um and yet now you can look back and so far long ago so, so long ago and i kind of kind of speak to that experience too a little bit just i was like did that really happen yeah. it's kind of like a foggy memory it is but then to have her pass away be like shoot she was my my woman for a little while right. and it probably just hit your yeah i can yeah. imagine how that hits your heart yeah and uh, to, for for to, to witness or to experience his passing mm. uh was traumatic you yeah. know i mean yeah. i mean i I obviously knew that it was going to happen, obviously, and but anyways, when it's when when you have that experience, it's, yeah. you know. And Charlie, uh, I was still married to Marilyn when I met Charlie. Uh -huh. uh, this that was in nineteen seventy seven. I was okay. still married to her. So. Explain to those who don't know who Charlie is. 
Oh, Charlie Ergen. Charlie Ergen, the founder and uh, chairman of the board of Dish Network. Mm -hmm. um, he's a billionaire guy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so Frito-Lay is where we met. Frito-Lay is where I met, where he and I met. Yeah, I, I had gotten a job there out of, out of uh, Dartmouth, out of Tuck. Yep. And uh, he, he had been in the uh, working world. And as an auditor, he was an auditor with Collins and Aikman, which was a textile company. He'd gone to um, Wake Forest Graduate School, gotten, uh, it was a brand new graduate, uh, graduate business school at Wake Forest, and he'd gotten his MBA. Mm. And then to, uh, to become a CPA, uh, you, had to, you had to have either audit experience with a public accounting firm or as an auditor with a uh, corporation, mm. right, in, in their audit department. So. Mm. That was kind of, he'd, he'd met that requirement and he'd taken the, except for the CPA exam and taken it and passed and, and so on and so forth. But he was always an entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, there was something special about Charlie. Yeah. Anyways, he'd come, I was still married and uh, he, of course, he contributed a lot, I think, to my divorce because we'd play poker on Friday night and I wouldn't go, we'd start on Friday night and I wouldn't go home till Sunday night, you know, so... Marilyn said, you know, call me up, you know, where are you? I said, I'm over at Charlie's playing poker. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> no, that didn't happen very often, but that, it did happen more than once. Sure, sure. But anyway, uh, 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 yeah, so, so he was my office mate, and uh, we ended up being roommates after I got divorced. We ended up being roommates. Mm -hmm. So he, he was, he'd moved from his apartment, and Marilyn had divorced me. And I was looking for an apartment, so he asked me if I wanted to live with him. I said, sure. So we moved into this apartment together. And uh, and then he got fired by Frito-Lay. Uh, because he, he just he didn't want to work there. He just he just knew that he was gonna start a company and and uh, anyway, uh, one of the stories I tell about Charlie was, you know, we did all this analysis this, uh, of products that new products that were gonna that Frito-Lay was going to try to launch, yeah. and uh, he, uh, they couldn't get the margins on this product that they that they were trying to launch because they because they wanted to get this price point and they couldn't go higher than that price point. They didn't think they'd get a market share, blah blah blah, and they couldn't get any costs out of it. Yeah. And he just looks at him and says, "Why don't you add water?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you add? It was a dip, you know. Yeah, yeah. Says, Why don't you add water? <laughs> and they went, "Duh." <laughs> I mean. Brilliant. Brilliant. Just yeah. put your finger right on the solution. That's that's the way he's done it the entire life. His yeah. entire life. Yeah. He's really logical. Right. But anyways, uh, so uh, my boss left there. Went to my boss had left had left Frito Lay when Frito Lay was involved in uh, and Pepsi was which owned Frito Lay, uh, bought Taco Bell and they bought Kentucky Fried Chicken. They bought um, uh, Pizza Hut. Yeah. So their fast food division. Yeah. Um, my boss was promoted to become the director of planning, financial planning at Taco Bell, mm -hmm. and he asked me to go with him to the West Coast. That was where Taco Bell was headquartered. Yeah. And I said, sure. Yeah. Southern California changed. I've gotten divorced, recently been divorced. You know, I chose Charlie Sayonara. Yeah. He'd, he'd uh, you know, he was, he spent all day playing backgammon with Jimmy Franco, who was also one of the founders yeah. of Equisphere or Dish. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I would hear him at three o'clock in the morning going, "You live in a bush." You live... I mean, they were rolling bone. They're rolling the bones, you know, yeah. playing backgammon. Oh my gosh, those days. <laughs> anyway, 
uh, Charlie, Charlie was dating uh, this gal named Candy McAdam, and uh, who's now his wife. And uh, he, she, she had been a flight attendant with Braniff Airlines. And, but she had gone back to, she went, she had made this decision to go back to school and get an MBA. And she went to uh, Thunderbird in Phoenix. And so he followed her to Phoenix. And uh, they, they lived together in Phoenix. Um, and that's when he started Ditch, okay? And that uh, was a result of Jim DeFranco introducing him to those 10 foot, 12 foot satellite dishes and stealing, basically stealing HBO, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, look, make a long story short, uh, Charlie, you know, over the, so I went to, I went to Taco Bell with the financial planning group. I wanted to be president of the company. So I said, well, I've got to learn how to run restaurants. And I got involved in this, uh, program. It was a fast track program that would take me through being a assistant manager and a manager, and a district manager and a regional manager or whatever of the rest of the restaurant yeah. division, the operations division. And, um, that's when. After becoming a regional manager, which you know was a process, yeah. um, the, uh, the the regional manager position that was available or that I got hired for was in Detroit, mm -hmm. and from Southern California, mm -hmm. from Orange County, mm -hmm. which is you know like the garden spot of America, mm -hmm. uh, Huntington Beach, you know that Newport Beach, all that kind of stuff. Um, to Detroit, people ask me, was wasn't that a cultural change? And I said, yes, it was. A, better. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I mean, I, I hated Southern California. Mm -hmm. It was just so phony and so plastic and so materialistic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, materialistic or oriented. And, and, uh, and that's when I, uh, where I met my wife, Lori, mm -hmm. and, uh, she ran the top highest Taco Bell restaurant in the nation. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie visited me when I was in California. Uh, he came to visit me, went on a fishing trip with me, uh, I got a story to tell you. So we were going, we went fishing and on this big boat with like a hundred people yeah. on it. And everybody put like $5 in this pot, right? For catching the biggest fish. Yeah. And um, so, and Candy, uh, uh, you know, Charlie's girlfriend at the time gave her $5 to Charlie and, you know, assuming that he was going to put it in. And of course, as, and as it turns out, she ends up catching the biggest fish. Yeah. He didn't put her five dollars. Oh, no. He goes, odds are against it. Odds are against. Yeah. She was so angry with him because oh, she would have won like six hundred bucks or five hundred yeah. bucks or yeah. something. And that's just the kind of guy Charlie was because he wouldn't have told her yeah. if if she had the one, yeah. she would have never known that he pocketed her five dollars. <laughs> That's the kind of logic he would use, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, odds are against her catching the food yeah, space, right? Yeah, yeah. What What are the odds? That's you awesome. Know? That's awesome. But but anyways, uh, uh, you know, he he started uh, this company called Ecosphere, and he wanted to name it Sputnik because that was the world's first communications device, right? Mm -hmm. Communications satellite. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jim DeFranco and Candy said, "Charlie, that's a, that's a Russian. Russian. We're in the Cold War with these yeah, guys. Yeah. I mean, we can't name the company Sputnik." So, uh, they named it because Echo was the name uh, of, of the U.S. first U.S. communications satellite. Okay. Called was named Echo One, and so he they named the company Echo Sphere because of, of the sphere, yeah. right? The yeah. dish. Yeah. And uh, you know, it just goes from there. But um, he he came in uh, uh, to to uh, he came to California, called me up and said, you know, 
he, he called me often, okay, asking me about these issues he would get into with personnel and mm -hmm. management kinds of issues and mm -hmm. stuff like that, asking my advice, and I would give it to him. And, and so he finally said, look, you want to come and work with us, and we need a guy like you. Yeah. And I said, no, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want you. But I, he said, fly, why don't you fly out to Colorado? So I flew, and I love, fell in love with Colorado. Mm -hmm. So we worked out a deal. And I went to his wedding. He and Candy's wedding in uh, in uh, Indiana mm -hmm. or Ohio. I'm sorry, Ohio, Congress Lake, Ohio, and uh, I got him drunk, and we worked out a deal. <laughs> brilliant, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So, so, anyways, we and I, I ended up uh, leaving Taco Bell. That was one of the hardest decisions uh, from a business standpoint that I, I had to make. That was the most critical decision up to that point in my life. Yeah. But I just knew that uh, I had to have ownership yeah. if I really wanted to get ahead yeah. and wanted to do the kind of things with my life that I wanted that to. you wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, that I, I should mm -hmm. go into business for, you know, have some equity. And if I worked and I, if we're successful, I would benefit. And if we weren't, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't benefit. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I met my wife. I met, well, Lori at the time was only 20. 20 years old, and I said, you know, do you want to go to Colorado? And she said, no, I don't, I, I can't, but my whole family's here yeah. in Michigan or in Detroit. I said, well, I'm leaving. Yeah. And so I left, and I came to Colorado, and two weeks later, she called me and said, does the offer still stand? Yeah. And the rest is, I said, you bet, yeah. and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, let's uh, let's pick up part two another, okay. another day. Okay. But I also wanted to talk about, too, just to remind myself, like, um, I feel like you're you really you're really good at accounting and numbers. Yes. Um, you obviously have learned. We just started getting into learning uh, successful management of people. Yes. You know various qualities that have allowed you to be. Yes. Yeah. Successful yeah. That that are. happened at, in my tenure at Taco yeah. Bell. Yeah. So maybe that, that year that I spent there, yeah. I was with this guy that was just absolutely the best on yeah. the planet yeah. when it came to that. Yeah. When it came to managing people. So when I started, uh, just to back up, when I started with Taco Bell, when I when I did the transfer, the move to the West Coast, yeah. and that was kind of a new start for me because I just got divorced and and stuff, and and so I was in the corporate office, right, and I was a single guy, and so, you know, I was, uh, you know, I took full advantage of that because uh, there was a lot of women that uh, were in the corporate office, yeah. of course, but uh, so anyway. Uh, I, I decided that I, if I wanted to be the president of the company, of course, so I, I'd have to know how to run a restaurant, right? I felt like, so I need to have that experience. And yeah. so they, uh, I went to the president and uh, I went to my boss. And I said, look, can, I, can you guys come up with a program that, for Fast Track for me? And he That's said, right. sure. And so they put together this program whereby we'd go through the various stages, right? You know, assistant manager, manager, district manager, blah, blah, blah. And then after that, after the district manager level, uh, you know, that was, it was all up to me. And so I said, I agreed to that. And so I got into, into it. Um, and I became, I went through the training for manager training and then I became an assistant manager. And then, uh, I ran my, I became a manager of my own restaurant. Mm -hmm. And about that time, my boss, my mentor got fired uh. from the company uh. and I went, uh Oh, <laughs> and this new guy, a new operations guy, guy that had been with Pizza Hut named Chuck Tortorese, yeah. came in 
and he came to my restaurant. I was I was actually the restaurant where I was assistant manager, and it was in Long Beach, and no, in Torrance. I'm sorry, Torrance, California. And he, uh, I knew who he was, and he said, "Do you know who I am?" And I said, "Yeah, of course. You're Chuck Torres." And blah, blah. he goes, "Well, do you want to get out of this restaurant management and come on, get on my team, and uh, you know, from an operation standpoint, and do our planning right. and financial stuff and all right. this kind of stuff?" Right. And I said, "No, I know I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to learn how to run these restaurants. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to, do that. I don't want to do that." And so he said, "Okay, all right, well." And then he left, and so then I thought about that, right? And a couple of weeks went by, two or three weeks, and then he came into. Then I got promoted to be the restaurant manager, mm. and he came in again after I was a restaurant manager, and it made it maybe a month after that. And he said, "You know, my offer still stands. You want to come and be on my staff? You know, and do the planning for the operations group." And I said, mm -hmm. "I said, uh, Chuck, I don't want to do that. I want to." <laughs> and so, w when that happened, I said to myself, "You know." When the guy comes in and asks you once, it's something. If he asks you twice and you turn him down, maybe you're on the way out, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I thought about it, and I called my old boss, who was still with the company, my not my, the guy who had I followed out to yeah. Taco Bell, not yeah. the guy who mentored me into this program, and because he got fired, and uh, my old boss said, you know, Tom, you know, it's up to you, but he says, you know, I don't think Chuck. Reese is going to hold, hold that against you. I mean, I don't think he thinks anything about it. And I said, okay. And uh, the next thing I knew, I got promoted to district manager mm -hmm. to run seven restaurants. Mm -hmm. And then in that period of time was, was I had the, uh, what I would consider to be one of the, one of the guys I learned the most from. He was, I learned what not to do. Okay. Yeah, right. How not to manage people. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a real bright guy. He was, uh, he'd come from Pizza Hut, uh, but he, he managed up, not down. Okay? Mm -hmm. He managed up to his boss and he did everything his boss wanted. He didn't give a damn about people that mm -hmm. were working for him. And even though I kind of won him over and, you know, became friends with him, I, I guess he was a single guy. He was uh, an Italian guy, kinda had a huge ego. Yeah. And <clears throat> anyways... Uh, and I, so I got him to, uh, you know, basically he, he liked me and, uh, but I, I didn't really learn anything about management, about personnel management from him. I just super managed all my stores. Mm -hmm. I super managed them by being in them, all seven of them all the time. Mm -hmm. I went from one to the other, to the other, to mm -hmm. the other, and I burned out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, and when I, when they gave me, when a dis, one of the other district managers quit, and he gave me, uh, this boss of mine gave me that district to manage as well. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I just, because there weren't enough hours in the day. <clears throat> right. And I, I was so exhausted. And, um, and so I just, I, you know, actually I learned at that point to delegate. Mm -hmm. And I learned the importance of having good people that yeah. work for you. Yeah. They can pick a ball up and run with it. Yeah. And then... Um, I, I did such a good job there. <laughs> uh, they gave me, by the way, they gave me Watts, six restaurants in Watts to manage. Mm. Uh, that I did such a good job that when I got promoted, I got promoted to Detroit. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. they thought if you could run Watts, you could run Detroit. Yeah. So uh, anyways, and, and uh, actually, to be honest with you, the guy that I interviewed with, who became my mentor, Bill Davis, 
that I spoke about at the meeting yeah. um, that I learned so much about managing people from. He came in and I sat with him and he said, look, I think you're ready to, for this next step, ready to be a regional manager. He says, but I've already got a guy picked out for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay, so what do I need to do yeah. to be successful? And, and he said, well, you're going to get the job. I mean, one of the other guys, one of the other divisional vice presidents will pick you up. I think uh, the guy down in Texas, you know, and I've, I've forgotten his name now. And I said, okay. And uh, so Bill left and uh, left the room, and uh, I was waiting there for this other guy to come in. And he said, and a guy walked in and said, you know, Tom, I'm, I don't have to talk to you at all. I'm, I'm, I've heard about you. I've learned about you through reputation. I'm here to jo- offer you the job as a regional manager in Dallas-Fort Worth. And the door opened up, and Bill Davis came back in. <laughs> and it was, so, it was pretty awkward. And uh, he said, well, Tom... Uh, and he talked to this other guy who was offering him the job. He says, "Look, you need to leave the room." <laughs> and Bill was, uh, you know, of such a stature in the in, in the in our business that the guy listened to him and he left. And he says, "Well, you've been forced down my throat." Uh, Chuck Tortorese, the guy that was the vice president who had come and asked me yeah. to be on his staff, yeah. had made the decision that because Bill was going to promote one of his own guys, yeah. one of his own guys that were district manager in his yeah. region yeah. that was going to be loyal to him. And Tortorese wanted an outsider mm-hmm. to come in and that that was loyal to Chuck Tortorese. Mm. And that he felt like I was going to be loyal to him before I'd be loyal to Davis. Uh-huh. And I learned so much from that experience, just that little play the right there. Politics that politics little politics, there. yeah. Yeah. And then when I got to be the regional manager, I moved to Detroit. Uh, Davis sent me first to Milwaukee for a week to spend a week with Monzor Pervez, yeah. who uh, who you know became my partner. I, I hired him at Ecosphere to be the VP of operations. You know, blah blah blah, and so on and so forth. When he left uh, Taco Bell, but um, uh, he I'd learned just immensely from Monzor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I learned you know, how he ran his region. But I learned so much from Bill um, Davis about how to manage people, how to care about them, and so on. But I also learned about the importance of politics because Mm. Davis, uh, so I said to, I called him up, Tortorese called me up one day, and he says to me, this was I was in the regional manager position for maybe two months, Mm -hmm. and he said, uh, Tom, uh, I'm coming out to Detroit. I'd like to take you out to uh, the fights. I'd like to take you to Cobo Arena and, and see a boxing. You know, McCrory is going to fight somebody, you know. Yeah, yeah. So McCrory was a middleweight contender. So I said, okay, you know, sure. And so I called up Bill. Bill and I said, well, Chuck Therese called me and he's going to come out and see me. He wants to take me to the fights, take me out to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so Bill, Bill says, you know, he says that he showed up the next day before Therese gets there and he goes, listen, okay, First, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. First, you're going to bury yourself, and then you're going to bury me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he said, so I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah. I, need to, I need to be with you the whole time right. when you're with the right. right. So, you know, I said, I got, I took offense to that to some degree, and I said, you know what? He's right. I don't know the politics of uh, this corporation yeah. and yeah. organization, stuff like yeah. that. So, uh, anyway, so that, that was something that I, a valuable lesson I learned as well. You know, it's interesting, though, uh, knowing your story as you're telling it, though, because you've mentioned a couple times before, it's like, um, whether it be Charlie or, um, who did you just mention? 
Uh, Bill Davis, no, Chuck Turnerese. Who did you hire into Ecosphere? Mansoor. Mansoor. These guys that end up becoming instrumental in your long-term play with Dish and Ecosphere yeah. were guys that you knew previously. Yes. So for anyone that's watching this and knowing, like, because I was thinking about this too, and finally now do I have an amazing partner who's my yin to my yang. You yeah. know, he loves to do all the back yeah, Charlie, stuff. Charlie all, only surrounded himself with people he knew from his former life. Yeah, which I just think it's very interesting because it's like, I think a lot of people look for partnerships, uh, but they just, at least I've seen, they, they'll go to some type of uh, event or convention and they're kind of headhunting for partner. They'll have one conversation like, we should do this. But you have no idea who yeah. you're getting into bed with. With everyone that sounds like you've dealt with, you've known their character. Yes. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Yes. yes, it is. And if I haven't, then I, I either learned about them over time. But all those people that I put in positions of responsibility that I could, where I could, you know, where they had more and more responsibility yeah. are people that I knew previously yeah. that I knew I could trust. Interesting. And uh, that uh, trusted me. Yeah. And Charlie was the same way, even to this day. Okay, he's, he hasn't made a friend since, I believe, 1980. Wow. Right, yeah. a new friend. Yeah. So, I mean, he probably has, he would say, he would disagree with that, but yeah. I think... I mean, since he became highly successful, he's always questioned the motives of people that is that are kind of come into his life, yeah. and you know whether or not they're into interested in him just for because of his success, financial yeah. success, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So that's you know he's he's and Charlie. One of the things I learned really quickly about Charlie is that the, the, the character that he placed the most value in is uh, loyalty, mm. and uh, you know I mean I I was. You know, all those people that are around Charlie were loyal to him. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that that's I learned I learned a lot about management and people from Davis. I I didn't learn anything from Charlie. I learned about business from Charlie. Mm -hmm. I learned about strategy and about how to think about business and how to be, you know, hard nosed and uh, mm -hmm. in negotiations and stuff like that. Right. I learned kind of the nuts and bolts of business that they don't teach you at business school. Yeah. They teach you, you know, strategy or how to how to <clears throat> analyze things with from a mathematical standpoint or right. an accounting standpoint or right. whatever. Right. Just, you know, that those kind of techniques, right? You got you get all those tools that you can add to your tool belt or to your toolbox. But they don't they don't teach you about uh, about the strategy and about how to look at how things are working in the industry and you know how the how companies are positioned and what to what to put your finger on, what's important and yeah. stuff like that. And those same kind of things I learned from Charlie. Yeah. And uh, and I think from his standpoint, what he would say you learn from me is how the the personnel management side of it. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, he he manages everybody the same. I don't. I mean, I think every person is an individual, and you have to manage them a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And that's worked for me, mm -hmm. Charlie believes that people are motivated by one thing and one thing only and that's money yeah, okay? right. because that's an extension that's, of what he, okay, he yeah. feels like himself yeah. and uh, and it's worked for him by the way it's yeah. worked in 99.9 percent .9 of the time so so he's in that in that regard he's been you know pretty much correct yeah. but but anyways uh, uh, you know like Davis taught me about you know like I said shared in the meeting you know about what to think about to think about what guy, the guy you're going to put in place, does he have a family, what are his wants, his desires, what are his kids, 
what in the grade are his kids in? What kind of hardships are going to would it place on his family, you know, personally and stuff like that? Yeah. And take those things into consideration yeah. when you're when you're managing somebody. Yeah. Or like I said before, to, to do evaluation of your your personnel and say, you know, this guy, he's got to be comfortable with the boss. Okay, I mean this because he, he won't sleep at night. I mean he'll call me up. I mean I had managed a guy that I hired a guy who's now. Well, I don't want to go there. This, this suffice it to say, he's in a responsible position right. at at Equistar in right. Dish, right. and but he he has to be comfortable with the boss. Right. I mean, if I said a crossword to him, he would not sleep at night. He'd call me up at eleven or twelve o'clock at night and try to get back in my good graces, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and on the uh, co contrary to that, another guy that I had uh, working for me. He was so confident. He he would have gone out and sold the company right out from under me if he if he would have had the ability. Right. And so, in that regard, he's he's somebody I could never let feel comfortable with me with the boss. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had to when I, before I left, I said here here's where you're screwing up, being 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 being, and I walked. I left, mm -hmm. and he he had to worry about all those yeah. kind of issues, yeah. right? right? But he had enough confidence in himself that he said, okay, I'll I'll deal with those mm -hmm. issues. But anyways, those are just the kind the kinds of techniques and 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 issues that uh, I would take into consideration having worked with Bill Davis or for Bill Davis, mm -hmm. and he taught me those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, and I and I was a pretty quick study, I think. Yeah. But anyways, and so uh, I went, I left uh, Taco Bell, uh, Davis, you know, Chuck Tortorese, When I called Chuck up and I told him, and I called Bill Davis up and I told him, Chuck said, "Why well, are you quitting because Bill?" Because of Davis, anything Davis did, I said, Chuck, Chuck, come on. <laughs> no, Bill had nothing to do with this. You know, don't blame it on, don't blame it on him. Don't, yeah, you know, because because yeah. he didn't like Bill Davis. That's right. I can see yeah. why. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, no, I said no. It's uh, I, Bill has uh, been a really good boss to me, and and I don't have a, a harsh word to say about him. And um, but I, I'm just, I said, I'm just leaving for this opportunity that's. Uh, it's you know presented itself to me, and I've got to take advantage of it now. And at this point in my life, otherwise I'll regret it. You know, going forward. So That's when you're when I was jumping leaving, with no, Charlie and Char Echosphere. I was jumping with Charlie and Echosphere. And you were the fifth employee at that point. I was employee number five. Yeah. So I show you this. Uh, I got a. He says number five on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's employee number five. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> February 1, 1983, five. <laughs> that's cool. Really cool. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we, we only had, uh, you know, we only had six or seven employees this time. Yeah, so yeah. There, some of them were part-time, but I was fifth. Right. And anyways, uh, you know, I got, I came into uh, there I screwed up totally in my my job first. You know, I was in the shipping department. And I shipped all the wrong things to this, all the wrong places. I made all these mistakes, and you know, so on and so forth. But I learned, and uh, and concurrently, I wrote the, the uh, manual, the operations manual for the company. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. I wrote job descriptions, uh, and as we added new positions and, and so on and so forth. I wrote descriptions for those, how you'd evaluate employees, and I wrote the uh, human resources manual and all these kind of things. I put all the, 
kind of uh, infrastructure in place yeah. that uh, for us to grow as a company. Mm. And during that period, during my first year, uh, we opened up an office. Charlie opened up an office in Sacramento. Jim DeFranco went out okay. and took over that office. Yeah. I went with him. Um, and Jim worked, reported to me. And uh, then we, uh, the next year, we opened up an office in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm. Then we opened up one. We bought a company down in Phoenix. Then we opened up one in Dallas. Then we did uh, 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 Miami. It's the sixth office we opened, then we went to Baltimore, and then we went to Chicago, and so on and so forth. And, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, the company just was off to the races at that mm -hmm. point. And all those, all those offices, uh, I put the people in place to run them and to manage them. The direct, we called them directors, operations directors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was a that was a, just a really go-go time with the dish. You can imagine. You said when, when you first came in, they were doing how much? Uh, two or three million dollars they'd done the year prior, yeah. and when I left, it was like four hundred million. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. And and so, um, uh, yeah, we and we were international. We'd only been domestic one office, and you know the strategy that we pursued was uh, though we just kind of fell into it worked really well for us because we went to the manufacturers and we got these wholesale deals with them, but we had to commit to certain quantities, minimum quantities. Mm -hmm. And we we sell those products at a profit <clears throat> you know, from a distributor standpoint in in the market that we were in. So mm -hmm. we just say Denver. Mm -hmm. And then we'd move them sideways, you know, to California and to Illinois and to the Carolinas yeah. and to Texas and yeah. so on. Not outside of our immediate market that we could service. And that worked out really well for us because what it did was it ended up we ended up having these kind of sub-distributors in those markets that prepared the markets for us. So when we opened an office there, mm. we just went in and put them out of business. Mm. Right? Mm. And then, so we first went to Sacramento, and then we went to Knoxville, and then we went to uh, Arizona, and then we went to Texas, and then we went to Miami. We had all those markets prepared for us, but we had already done, we're, we're selling product in the, in the past, yeah. by, uh, by the quant by quantities that we were unheard of. So smart. Yeah, smart yeah. strategy. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, then we did a vertical integration move in that we bought a manufacturer, and at the time that it was the, the and Charlie had his finger on the pulse of the industry, man. And so that was when uh, the uh, satellite television business, the C-band business, had scrambled their signal. Mm -hmm. Right, they, the, the the government had said yes, no, you can't, you can't. Um, uh, deny these guys access to your signal if they can, because the airwaves are publicly owned. So if they can put up a dish and grab that signal out of the air, then it's legal to do that. But having said that, you can scramble that signal, but you have to put into place a descrambling system and with a marketing plan to market to those people because it's, the information has got to be every everybody in one in this country's got the same access to the information mm -hmm. so they have access to cnn or the news or nbc or abc or whatever and that's what the government said and so uh, it took it took hbo uh roughly a year from that pronouncement to the for the, they scrambled on their signal on january 1st mm -hmm. 1986 mm -hmm. and uh <clears throat> We took we took full advantage of it. That created tremendous opportunities for. So and then they 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 requested or they demanded 
HBO demanded that the companies that they give the gave the bid to for for development of their conditional scrambling conditional access system, which was uh, General Instrument, yeah. they they demanded that they license their the manufacturing of the descrambler modules mm -hmm. to other companies, mm -hmm. and and so um, the company the company that signed up first to become a uh, a uh, subcontractor was a company in, in Houston, Texas called Houston Satellite Systems or Houston Tracker is what mm -hmm. the, we knew it as. And there the, they were the first uh, to, they developed the world's first integrated satellite receiver descrambler. Um, and it, it basically, when the scrambling first happened, you had to put a satellite receiver in and then a separate descrambling box that would descramble the signal. Right. But with the uh, advent of this uh, integration, they you could integrate the descrambling module into the satellite mm -hmm. receiver. Mm -hmm. And so it became a single product. Mm. Um, they, when they d developed a product that Charlie had, like I said, Charlie had his finger on the pulse, and that was the most advanced product in the industry. And it was going to, Charlie figured it was going to take the industry three years to catch up to them because they were so far ahead in terms of software yeah. uh, development and uh, with, the, with the satellite receiver, what they put in their satellite receiver to scramble. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he was right because they used what was called a, what was called a, a um, high, high uh, frequency um remote control, a UHF remote control, yeah. which went through walls, mm. right? And so you could have your satellite receiver anywhere in your house, and then you could you could change the channels on it yeah. and move the dish that was outside, you know, and stuff like that. So that was a huge advantage over those people that were using infrared technology. Right. That you had to be in line of sight of the satellite receiver, wow. Wow. right? So anyways, um, we bought that company. We bought Houston Satellite Systems uh, and... Uh, uh, I think we paid $12 million for them, uh, for 14, I don't remember now, hmm. but we made $24 million profit in the first year. Wow. And, uh, I had gone down to take over as president and that was the, together, that was altogether a new experience. Hmm. And, you know, my hat's off to Charlie. He taught me how to be a president. Yeah. He taught me how to from an executive standpoint, how to make decisions and and not look back and and uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, he was he was really really. He was always there when I called him. He would always answer the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, I had questions for him. You know, and and uh, uh, he was really supportive. And so that I learned how to I learned how to become a president from Charlie, and uh, I got more and more confidence every day mm -hmm. as I went as I managed that company. So and we. Did, had you know success tremendous amount of success yeah and and so uh from that standpoint charlie when i the person i'd left in charge to take over my place back in denver when i left uh dropped the ball so to speak mm -hmm. uh just wasn't up to the task of managing the company and so charlie asked me to come back and take over the entire organization the combined uh houston ecosphere organization mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I would do it. And and we negotiated a deal on the deal and stuff like that. And so I did. I came back. And uh, and so then uh, uh, we were going along. We were, you know, we were integrating the two companies. And they were 
basically two different cultures uh, that we had to combine, and I think we had we had a high degree of success in, in combining those two cultures uh, from from those guys that you know. And what we did, what the offer we made for those people that were working in Texas yeah. to come to Colorado was we offered them. I think it was. Uh, Two thousand or twenty five hundred dollar bonus, but they uh, had to stay for a year. Mm. Okay, and we gave it to them up front, and we paid for their move and all this kind of stuff. And we gave them the bonus up front, but if they left before a year, they owed us the money, which we didn't. Nobody left. I mean, uh, if they would have left, I don't know how we would have collected. You know, yeah. but, <clears throat> anyway, it's just the fact that they were they made that commitment that yeah. you know I said, and so. Uh, we were able to to leave with Texas. Ninety percent of the people came with us, mm. and uh, and that was you know why we were successful in that move. Mm. In in that our customers didn't even know we moved, right? I mean, <laughs> I yeah. mean it was a weird, weird. Right. But uh, we had coordinated that move so successfully. So anyway, uh, and you know one thing led to another, and you know I was traveling tremendously and. Uh, I got to the point where I wasn't I wasn't having any fun anymore. So, yeah, yeah. so actually, uh, uh, when I what happened was I picked up my daughter, and, and Lori was pregnant with our fourth child, and uh, Riley was just two years old, and uh, I picked her up and she screamed and didn't know me, uh. you know, like acted like I was a stranger. Yeah. And I said I freaked out. I said, "Man, this is." And we were in this house. Mm. We just bought this house we bought it uh, we closed on it on May 1st um, 1991 and Adam was born on September the 22nd of that year mm. so it was a few months before five months before four months before he was born and uh, so I went to Charlie and I said look you know I gotta I've got to back off you know and uh, so we worked out a deal and uh, we left on, I left on good terms yeah. and then he came back to me you know several years later and asked me to join the board mm -hmm. You know, so uh, which is where you which were. which uh, you know I've been on I've been on the board since uh, gosh 2005 I guess right right so nearly uh, 15 years wow. yeah. yeah yeah so and then uh, as I got into my new role as a stay at home dad and uh, you know want to be entrepreneur <laughs> uh, uh, one of the guys that uh, I had uh, I had recruited and that had come to the company. As I said, it was named Manzur. His name was Manzur. He'd been at Taco Bell, and he'd since left that company. He went with a company called The Fresher Cooker, and they went with a company called Rocky Rococo's Pizza by the Slice and, yeah, yeah. and stuff. So he stayed in the restaurant business. Uh, and I recruited him to be the vice president of operations because yeah. I, I, I knew his skill set could transfer. And uh, so he agreed. I mean, I, I got him to come to the work for me, and... And uh, he did did a tremendous job for us, um, but he didn't want to work for Charlie. So, because um, he had he had had an experience with Charlie that didn't sit well with him, and uh, so at any rate, uh, he came. He left. You know, he said, "Look, Tom, I I want to go into business for myself. Are you interested?" And and I said, "Yes." What, what business do you want to go into? And he said, "Well." I, the business that we know, my wife and I know, is the hair salon, the hairstyling business. Mm -hmm. She's a stylist. And so she went around and worked for all these kind of up-and-coming fast food 
uh, hairstyling companies, you know, yeah. like Grey Clips and yeah. uh, Ricks and uh, yeah. Supercuts and stuff like that. Yeah. She worked for all of them. And she came back and she said uh, to both of us, she said, you know, the thing I think that we, the company I think we want to go with is called Grey Clips. Mm. And so Manzor and I went to, flew to uh, Milwaukee or flew to, um, I think it's, um, what is it, St. Paul? Minneapolis. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. yeah, that was their headquarters. Yeah. And uh, uh, hooked up with their president there, and we bought 10, uh, signed a, an agreement for 10 stores, 10 yeah. uh, franchise units. And, in um, Colorado. No, in uh, Illinois, Illinois, in the Chicago market. Okay. Right, right. That's the next market that they were opening. Okay. And so Manzor left, uh, <clears throat> moved his family here to Colorado, so he moved them again, moved to uh, Illinois, where he's still at, and we started uh, in the Great Clips for Hair business. Mm. And that was uh, in 1992 or three. And uh, and after I left the company, by the way, uh, you know, Charlie had come to me and asked me to head up this other company, this project that he, we had out in San Diego, and I said yes, and I spent a couple of years, out, or 18 months, working for that, uh, working on that organization. Uh, we were not successful, but uh, not not for lack of uh, execution, but for lack of stra- strategy, a, a good strategy. Mm-hmm. That felt, a, the strategy was good, was good from the get-go, but it changed as, uh, as we got further and further into the company. Yeah. But uh, but we were we did successfully developed this product, but uh, the market for that that product dried up, wow. and uh, and so it, we we weren't successful at right. commercializing. Right. It. So uh, I would spent a year, eighteen months or whatever, right. uh, commuting back and forth to San Diego. But then then I got into this concurrently. I was doing this great tips business, and Manzur uh, had left and was. Uh, developing stores in the Chicago market and uh, the Great Clips model said, you know, you got to be in a grocery store, strip center, this anchored by a grocery store and, you know, blah, 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 with this kind of demographics and 85% white, blah, blah, blah. So we immediately totally threw that out the window and and opened in uh, Lincoln Park, downtown in an urban, (laughs) not not a suburban, an urban area that was densely populated and, uh, we were so highly successful. I mean, that store just kicked ass. That's awesome. And, uh, and it was really primarily because we had a great manager. And he was a black guy that was real hip, and they played music that was, rock, that was you know, uh, popular music, yeah. pop, pop culture music. Yeah. And the people went walking by and said, okay, I got to go in there. What was it about the, the, the strategy that you guys decided, oh, that's wrong. I'm gonna, we're going to do our thing, you know? Because you would think that's the benefit of coming into a franchise is like, oh, they've already done all their due diligence and all their demographic work, you know? Was it just intuition? Were you guys sitting around having a beer and thinking, you know what, this would be a great place? You know, the thing is that we just, we drove around the city and looking for locations. And Manzor and I just looked at each other and said, you know, look at all these people. Look at all these people down here. I mean, they're... Millions of people. Yeah, yeah. We got to be successful, you know. Yeah. And so, and Great Clips said, said, you know, they they were hesitant to approve the store, mm. the site, and 
we we said, look, I, I know we're going to be successful. We, we're on this main street, main street here in Lincoln Park, mm -hmm. just uh, off the lake and so on and so forth. And it's an up-and-coming, yuppies kind of environment, blah, yeah. blah, blah. High-rise uh, condos and apartments and so on. And we've got, a, we've got the demographics and so on. So Great Clips approved it. And uh, we were, we were, we, we had a Grand Slam home run from the get go. I mean, it was that store was ended up being the number one store in the entire country, wow. right? From a volume standpoint, wow. and uh, and it was for many many years until it got you know we cannibalized the business by opening up salons nearby and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we had uh, we had a Grand Slam. So that was so that told us. I mean, we thought we were geniuses, you know. Yeah, of course. So then we opened up another one downtown, and it failed. Uh, and it was it was just exactly on the wrong corner. It's, given the foot traffic and so on, it was not in a location that people would stop into or go into. And so that showed you that how lucky we'd been in that first one that we opened up. Mm -hmm. Humble. So, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was definitely a humbling experience. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so we ended up closing it after a year. And uh, actually, we, had, we, we closed that location and moved it. We, moved, we held on to the franchise agreement and moved it to another location yeah. where it's more successful. But yeah. anyways, but we were, never as, we were never as highly as successful as we were that in the first location. But anyways, and so uh, concurrently, uh, Lori uh, said, you know, she, I mean, she, my, my wife is so weird. Anyway, she, she didn't think she was contributing to the family. Okay, she was just being a mom and a housewife. And I said, "Honey, that's a huge job." I mean, four, we got four kids, and yeah. she goes, "Oh, you know." I mean, anyway, so she she said, "Well, this this I want to have a business of my own. Yeah. I want to contribute." And I said, "Okay." So she, I told her, "What business do you want to get into?" And she said, "Well, one that has you know pretty regular hours." And so. We came up with was a, a shipping store, a mailing and shipping store yep. called Mailboxes, etc. Yep. And she said they're not open on Sundays; they're only open on Saturdays until like four o'clock or whatever. Yep. Blah blah blah. And uh, you know they keep regular hours, eight to six or whatever. And so I said, okay. So we ended up buying a mailbox store, mm -hmm. and uh, we took over. We bought it from this girl that was failing miserably, and because uh, she. I mean, she was anyway. She did everything wrong. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. She just, yeah. You told me it was pretty yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. She, she had a dog in there. She only she the people would come to use the store and said, you know, gone skiing. You know, I mean, you know, it's just that kind of thing. business of convenience. For business her. of convenience for her. That's yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway, so we turned that around quickly, and then uh, uh, an opportunity presented itself to. Uh, to open up another one, and uh, the guy who was who owned the state, the the area guy, the area owner, came to me and said, "Look, Tom, uh, do you want to expand?" And I said, "Sure." And if I can, he goes, "Okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to open up a, a, a store in Highlands in, or down the street. Would you buy that store that I'm opening up down the street?" And I said, "Yes, as long as." you'll give me Highlands Ranch, mm -hmm. right? And I can have all of Highlands Ranch because I knew that Highlands Ranch was going to grow by leaps and yeah, bounds. Yeah. And he said, okay, I'll agree to that. And so I opened up one. We, op we bought the store from him that he had opened up just down the street. It was only a mile away from the, our existing store. 
and it cannibalized the business like crazy. So we ended up uh, moving that one. And uh, actually, uh, the, the original store that we bought, we ended up moving not to Highlands Ranch, but to another location that was a temporary location that was on Happy Canyon and Hamden. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a temporary location, but we didn't lose money there. And we, had, we were losing money in both our stores mm -hmm. that were so close to each other because uh, they cannibalized it. And so the, the, when we moved that the original store to Happy Canyon and Hamden, the Arapaho store volume doubled mm -hmm. overnight. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and because all of our customers then went to that store. The one store that, that were uh, that were patronizing the yeah. the Dry Creek store. Yeah. So, anyways, and then we got on the ball, got on the stick, and opened up uh, two stores in Highlands Ranch. Uh, one at uh, University and Highlands Ranch Parkway, and then one at Broadway uh, and Highlands Ranch Parkway. And they were both uh, the highest volume talk or uh, great clips in the country. Yeah. And uh, or not in the country mailboxes. in the state mailboxes. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. mailboxes in the country. And uh, at at that time, uh, UPS was the largest investor in mailboxes, etc. Yeah. And uh, they got the uh, this wild hair right that they wanted to purchase the entire company, mm -hmm. but they wanted to rebrand it. Mm -hmm. And they so they did a test market up in Seattle mm. to uh, the UPS store. Yeah. They changed the name to the UPS store, and it was going to be essentially a collection, a series of collection uh, locations for UPS. Yeah. So the drivers would just go there and collect all these packages okay. and stuff. And uh, and then they, they rebranded it with the brown and uh, you know the brown uh, and, and all the kind of the UPS logo and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went up and and. Uh, to, and visited those stores in Seattle to see what it was like, and, so, and they because they went out, UPS went out and offered that opportunity to everybody that was a mailbox store yeah, owner. Yeah. Said, "You would you like to convert to a UPS store?" And those that didn't, they didn't force them to, but they didn't renew their franchise agreements. Mm -hmm. When they came, got to their end of their franchise agreement, mm -hmm. they didn't renew them. So they forced you basically to into the UPS become the UPS store or get go out of business at the end of your franchise yeah. agreement right so anyways uh we we opted to go with the the flow and uh converted to the ups store they they paid for everything for the entire conversion mm -hmm. um the rebranding and so on um didn't hurt business no it didn't it you know it, it bumped business uh probably 15 or 20 percent that's awesome yeah so <clears throat> and if we just our, our analysis was that it based on the trip we made to Seattle, because we'd actually, they, they gave us the names of store owners to visit in Seattle, and we knew that they were gonna give us only names of people who would support the conversion. So we went to other stores as well, and talked to those owners as well, and got, got the true story. Smart. Yeah, and uh, uh, they, they were generally positive about the change, mm -hmm. about the changeover, about the changeover, the effect that the changeover had had on their business. But they they weren't uh, blown away. They said, "Man, we increased our business like five or ten percent." Yeah. And if we had to spend money, our own money, out of our own pocket, we wouldn't agree to it. And uh, so I said, "Well, that you know, they're covering the total expense of the changeover, so let's go ahead and do it." So, mm -hmm. and as it turns out, that was probably a good move. Yeah. But uh, in the long run, it proved to be problematic. Uh, 
for the owners. And that from that I mean, as an owner, <clears throat> when I tried to sell my stores, I ran into all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, UPS had to, UPS, that organization was so dominating yeah. and so controlling that they wanted to approve every single thing that you did. And it was so much hassle to, to sell the store mm -hmm. to a new owner that wanted to come in and take over. Yeah. That, oh my gosh, I just, oh, I went, I spent years in uh, selling the five stores that we owned. We, we developed, you know, we'd got, gotten up to five stores and, uh, oh my gosh, it was so, such a hassle to us to move those stores. But, mm -hmm. um, but we went, you know, we worked through it and, uh, the last store was the biggest hassle I had. Oh my gosh. Because the guy that was buying it from us already had uh, 10 stores yeah. and all 10 of his stores had to be in compliance with the UPS standards and if they weren't then he couldn't they wouldn't allow him to expand they wouldn't approve him as a buyer of my store mm. and I, I thought wait 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 <laughs> if he if he has one store out of 10 the diner great and you know in the standards and then one store is you know, fall short in one area, you're going to not approve them. And they said, yes, we're not. And I, what I realized was that that was the hammer that they could use against all their franchisees mm -hmm. to, uh, to legally deny them transferring their business mm -hmm. without paying a fee to an agent, the guy who was working for the company, but who got a who got a bonus for every transfer that he had, he got approved. Mm. And I, so by the way, because I already had a buyer, I didn't use him. And he resented that immensely. It's like he, he tried to sabotage us, right? He, he put every roadblock in our way that he could think of. And cause it was, it was like $10,000 out of his pocket. Yeah. And uh, in retrospect, I should have paid the 10,000 bucks. Yeah. I'm you know, yeah. So anyways, but we, we finally got it done, but I had to threaten to sue UPS. I threatened to rattle savers. You know, they didn't care. I mean, it was, you know, I don't, I don't think it had any impact on them, you know, whether or not I threatened them or not. Yeah. But anyways, uh, uh, so that, so we got into, got into the, uh, the hair salon business. We got into the, uh, UPS store or the shipping, packing and shipping business and then concurrently, I got into the commercial real estate business. Mm -hmm. And that was through uh, uh, one of uh, the, the Colorado area owner for UPS or for mailboxes, etc. One of the guys that, uh, uh, that was in, high in that organization came to me and said, you know, we're looking for partners to invest in this real estate opportunity. Are you interested? And I said, sure. And they showed us, they showed me this shopping center that had a uh, had a UPS or a mailboxes et cetera store yeah, in it at yeah, the time, yeah. and uh, it was a small one, small center, small investment. Yeah. And I said, you know, great, let's do that. I'll I'll only go in if I can be at least fifty percent mm -hmm. uh, or fifty point one percent. Right. 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 And uh, I've I've kept that level of ownership in all the deals we've done, and we've done like ten or twelve deals since then. We've flipped and rolled and flipped and rolled these strip centers. We've upgraded and expanded and and so on and so forth and so mm. we're still into 
that business, um, I'm still in that business in a big way. Yeah. And in the commercial real estate business, but uh, from a different level, I'm, I've got some, you know, tremendous experience under my belt and uh, I've learned a lot about, about the commercial real estate business in Colorado. Mm -hmm. We've not ventured outside of Colorado though. We've looked uh, pretty extensively at some opportunities in other markets. Yeah. But, yeah. but anyways, and so, uh, and, and then over time, over the years, uh, in the last 20 years, I've sold, uh, I sold the mailboxes, etc. UPS store business, that retail business, sold them one, one store at a time. Actually, I sold two stores to one buyer and, uh, the other three I sold individually. Um, the last one I sold, uh, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I sold to my partner. We, we grew the great clips for hair. Uh, business to 25 salons mm. we bought out a couple of franchisees that owned multiple units um, and so we had the own experience in that and, and my partner and I came to an agreement and um, he he was uh, you know he he was it, it got to the point where his family his three daughters and his wife were involved in the business mm -hmm. And at that level, the size that our business was, it wasn't going to be enough for him to only own 25 or 50% mm -hmm. uh, and get the kind of income that he needed to maintain his lifestyle. And so he said, you know, Tom, I want to either you buy me out and I go another way or I'll buy you out. And I said, well, look, it makes sense that you're the operations guy. You yeah. buy me out. And so we, we came to terms and uh, cool. he's lived up to him and uh, he's... Uh, He's not missed a payment. You know, I, I financed the purchase. Uh, he's not missed a payment. He's actually been early, uh, paid early every month. Uh, and it's he's gonna, he's only got like two years left mm. to pay off, pay it off. And they, have, they own the stores at the salons. Cool. So, yeah. 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 so he's been highly it's successful in that. So yeah. it's, he's continued to manage that business. It's been really good for his family. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I think I paid it forward and, in that he didn't have any capital when uh, he came to me with the opportunity. I, I was the one who financed the, the business, you know, because of my success at Aquasphere Dish, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of capital that I'd been able to accumulate and mm -hmm. put together. And uh, uh, so I, I did the financing. Uh, we, we basically debt financed uh, and he, had, he uh, garnered sweat equity. Mm -hmm. uh, he owned fifty percent of the business, yeah. what I, which is what I had agreed to, yeah. and uh, uh, we, like I said, we debt financed it uh, for the balance, yeah. um, and uh, he has built just a tremendous amount of equity since mm -hmm. since uh, uh, entering the business. So, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, and then the, the, the shipping business, the, the mailboxes, etc., the UPS store business was really good for us because Lori got. You know, when the kids were of such an age that she could not devote the time that was required to work in the stores right. anymore. Right. But as it turned out, our children worked in the stores. Mm -hmm. You know, when they turned into or became teenagers and were of age that they could work in the stores, yeah. they worked there and they learned how to do about packing and shipping. Cool. And, and actually, Adam, and when he graduated from college, he got his first job was the manager of one of the UPS stores right over here. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, Ken Carroll. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, and then he went to California to live with his brother 
and he got a job out there as a manager of the UPS, one of the UPS stores out there. Mm. And so that, that experience, uh, you know, has paid off. And, yeah. and uh, our daughters worked in them as well, though they weren't, uh, you know, as adamant about, uh, you know, being successful and stuff like that in the retail business. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, uh, so it's been, it's been a, you know, it's been really kind of a good thing, I think, the, the businesses that we've owned. Yeah. Um, it was interesting when you, when you, you know, in, in wrapping this up, it's cool to see as you tell the story from the beginning then how, when you're in it, and this is just like anyone's life, essentially, a lot of these things seem like they're not connected, you know? But then as you go, you can actually see how the dots truly are, how you learned that big lesson from that experience, which benefited this yes. opportunity to this and this, and just, it all becomes this satellite system of interconnected right. opportunities yes. and lessons learned and really, really cool, you know. Yes. Yeah, you know, I, if I had to learn from, learn from Charlie about the basics of business, actually, uh, you know, the kind of negotiating and all those kind of things, I wouldn't have had nearly the degree of success, I think, as the franchisee that I did with both Great Clips and UPS Store. Yeah, and in the commercial real estate business also. Yeah. And uh, so that that kind of paid off there. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just one thing. They're all interconnected. It's, yeah. it's you know, you, you use those experiences that you've, uh, you know, that you've developed from the past and... Uh, to, to the best of your ability. Yeah, you know, so. that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank so, you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. And I'm looking forward you're welcome. to keeping the conversation going as you just keep doing more of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've like I said, I've, I've since sold the uh, the UPS stores and the Great Clips business, and I'm I'm just uh, peripherally involved in the satellite or in the commercial real estate yeah. business. Actually, I'm directly involved, but I don't have a day-to-day -day yeah. management um, of that business. Yeah. And I am uh, I continue to be on the board of directors. That's cool. Really, really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Thank so, you great. very you much. Thank Appreciate you. it. That's it for this one, and I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, Share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say hey. It would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.